0: Can you hear me? I have something to say. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, especially if you're reading my new book, Crucify My Love, or listening to the companion podcast, Mask of the Gods, which is the name of the series. You can find them wherever. Well, you can find the book at Amazon or the podcast anywhere podcasts are listened to. So and if it's not where you're listening to this podcast, let me know so I can fix that because that's the thing that should be fixed. So, on today's episode of the podcast, I would like to talk to you about how, well, kind of how, but how the universe and world building of Star Trek is, in large part, a persistent illusion. It's not real. You think it's there, but it's not. And... That makes for some really fun debates, both within fandom and if you're like me and a creative person, how to actually best spend your time when you're working on a creative project. So before we get into all that, if the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or the podcast in general, please do so. That helps me out a lot. That tells the algorithm to share me with more people. And that really does help me out immensely. So I would like to begin this entire process and discussion by saying, for anyone who thinks there's any such thing as Star Trek canon, you're wrong. You are absolutely 100% completely and totally wrong. Now, fans have done our best to craft said canons, and you can see this over at Memory Alpha and Memory Beta, where... We, we try really, really, really hard to put all the pieces together in a way that makes coherent sense. We also can see this in the encyclopedias and other resource books that have come out over the years that try to deal with the contradictions that happen over and over and over again. Star Trek was written initially in the 1960s. A couple things that are important to think about here one the lifespan of a show depended on getting generally to 100 episodes at which point the show could be sold into syndication remember this is the day before home video no one bought tv shows nobody collected tv shows Where in 1965 which is if i'm my memory serves about 10 years prior to the introduction of either Betamax or um, VHS to record live television. I believe both of those were in the mid-70s, if my memory is to be relied on there. So the idea that you would spend a lot of time, effort, and energy trying to collate all the facts about the world that you're building so that you would put out a coherent narrative, well, the stakes weren't there, because all you really had to rely on was the memory of the people who watched, and maybe those few obsessives who also rewatched watched the episodes when they re-ran. Oh, what a different world it was. So, continuity was more of a feeling than it was an important factor that went into actually creating these shows so while you would catalog very important things in your series bible such as the name of the ship is the USS Enterprise its registry number is NCC 1701 and the captain's name is Kirk the first officer's name is Spock the (laughs) remember Kirk did not have a middle name until, I believe, the movies, when the T was turned into Tiberius, because, well, he was just James T. Kirk. the The T was silent, especially about what it stood for. And you'd write little notes about certain characters so that you wouldn't get them wrong. Chekhov, for ex- for example, was Russian, and. Uhura was African and Scotty was Scottish, you know, little things, but you didn't really care too much about the big things because the big things, one, rarely impacted the story and two, well, people weren't paying attention all that closely or so the studios thought. You can see this very clearly in that well, in the Corbomite Maneuver, which was the 10th episode of the first season, we hear them very clearly say that the Enterprise is part of the United Earth. Not not the Federation. Federation doesn't exist yet. It's the United Earth ship, USS Enterprise. We also notice in our rewatches of the show that they had not decided what the name of The Vulcans were. They are referred to as Vulcanians on numerous occasions. And, well, nobody seemed to agree on how to say the word Klingon. And it appears that every actor encountered the word in their script and individually decided how it should be said. And there are a lot of variations in there. This is a tradition that continues all throughout the series in that well, is it Calus or Calus? Because depending on which episode of which season you're talking about and which series, that's a name that changes pronunciation and changes quite a lot. Is the stress on the first syllable or the last? Is it Calus or Calus? Is it Calus or Calus? These are things that change over the time because despite what anybody thinks, no one was keeping notes behind the scenes to ensure that the story had the rigid world building that we fans would later attribute to the show. So, if they weren't intentionally designing the Federation, which it could be argued didn't really come about until the Journey to Babel episode, when the concept of the Federation really kind of comes into focus and is for the most part, continued from that point on in the series, though we're told in the films that it predated and that it was a Federation mission all along. How how does this work? See, the trick that they used worked really well back in the time before we could own media. Like I said, your memory of the show was pretty much all that, all that you had, either memory or if you were a nerdy, geeky person like me who sometimes would take notes because you were part of a role-playing group that liked to play in the world of Star Trek and they introduced a new alien that you really wanted to make sure that you didn't forget stuff about. Yeah, I was that kid. But you only got to see the episode once and then maybe again in repeats. So they didn't have to worry about this. But the problem develops quite early. You see, Star Trek was cancelled after its third season, and then, somehow, miraculously went into syndication, even though it had below the threshold of 100 episodes, which, generally speaking, is thought of as how many you have to have to do a syndicated show. So... People started watching these episodes and watching them repeatedly. The VCR had been invented, and whether you had a Betamax or a VHS in your house, you could now tape early episodes of the original series. You could have them for your re-watching. You could take them to parties and show them to other people. You could start having conventions where you and other people who really liked this series could get together and start talking about it rewatching these episodes and picking over the minutiae in glorious geeky detail. And this is where the illusion of world-building comes from. It's it's quite a miraculous thing. We accept that the federation exists because well, by the time we get to the movies, it does and thus always did, didn't it? Cuz That's how our minds work. If a thing is a thing, then it must have always been a thing. We we have this problem of the persistence of belief where we just generally assume that the way things are the way things have always been, whether or not that's true or not. And a show like Star Trek really took advantage of this predilection of our species to really make us feel like it had given us much more of a solid grounding in the world than it actually had. You can see this coming to blows inside Gene Roddenberry's own mind when he sees the new technologies coming and in his own novelization of the first movie, which, if you are a Star Trek fan, I highly recommend that you read because in some ways it's kind of a manifesto for how he saw Star Trek and what he thought Star Trek should be. And in there, he denigrates the original series He has Kirk talking about it as the overly colorful memories and exaggerated legends told, tall tales told about their adventures. That's not how most people think about it, but that's kind of how Gene did. By the time you get to the next generation, everything that follows, they still did not keep track of all of the things that they were talking about. If you actually pay attention, they, they have this wonderful power to use the persistence of memory to just rewrite things in the past. By the time we get to, for example, First Contact, we watch Zephyrin Cochran on Earth develop Warp Drive. The problem with that is we actually met Zephyr Cochran before. We actually find out his fate, if you will, in an episode of the original series, where we learned that he was from Alpha Centauri, and he was the first person to break the, the light barrier, the time barrier, and thus bring warp technology to the universe. Yeah. We just overwrite that. Now Zephyr Cochran was a human. He was from... Minnesota, and he was there after the Third World War, tinking or tinkering around, and his flight of the Phoenix. <laughs> see what you did there. Brought the attention of the Vulcans to Earth, and all of a sudden, we have the beginnings of what would eventually be the Federation, and all of our stories after that just kind of take that idea for granted, except for when they need to rewrite it and tweak it a little bit. So by the time you get to Enterprise there's a lot of conversation about how warp developed that does kind of overshadow some of the stories that we were told in first contact, but that's how the series worked. You see, it used previous information as hearsay, even events that you saw with your own two eyes. You met Zephyrin Cochran. He was on the original series he looked nothing like the actor who played him later. But that doesn't matter, because that's in the past, this is now. And this is a technique that they used throughout the series. And I mean series. If Deep Space Nine found something that TNG had said to be problematic, it would literally hand-wave it away or ignore it altogether, and do whatever it wanted to anyway. The same thing happened with Voyager and Enterprise, and, much to the chagrin of a lot of people in contemporary fandom, so did Discovery. Because there never really has been a unified Star Trek universe. They've been more like the old school Marvel comics, where they each kind of developed in their own continuity with their own rules that they themselves didn't always abide by. How, when can you teleport through someone's shields? When does the transporter work, and when does it not? It seems to work based on plot. Can you transport while at warp? Is it hard? Is it easy? Is it something that you need a specialist to do? Well, that depends on the plot. Now, I'm not saying any of this to denigrate Star Trek. For anybody who's listening to this series for any period of time, you you would know I, I am a huge fan of Star Trek. It's one of my absolute favorite shows of all time. But... It is not a planned series. It is not a conventionally world-built series. The same is true of Star Wars and a lot of the shows that we like. When we look at some of the meticulously built worlds, such as Dune, where Frank Herbert spent almost as much time working out how he wanted everything to fit together as he did writing the books, which is why he never got to finish the series, or Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, where everything was built because he developed some languages and felt that they needed expression. So he developed an entire cosmology so he could use the languages that he built. But in so doing, really spent a lot of work and effort to flesh out these worlds. They were pre-built. They were not discovered along the way. So what can this teach us? What can this tell us? If we're a creative person, if we're wanting to create our own science fiction or fantasy series or world, which is better? Should we just follow the Star Trek model of just blindly running forward, top speed, producing episodes and content, and just, well, hope people are okay with any contradictions that happen to pop up? I don't think we can do that anymore. And I don't think Star Trek would have been successful had it originated now, not without some serious changes in how it was developed and how the episodes were written. You really would have had to have had somebody sit back and, well, take into effect all the little things that make the story work and make the world make sense. This has been one of the persistent problems for Star Trek Discovery, is it's kind of trundled forward like the Star Trek's before it, and not given too much thought to other iterations of Star Trek that, while having come before it, technically take place after it. Which is why it clumsily had to just kind of write itself out of history the way that it did at the finale. And I'm sorry if that's a spoiler and I didn't tell you spoiler warnings, but it's stupid, it makes no sense, and it actually doesn't affect the plot at all, so it's not really a spoiler, so don't feel spoiled. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this has been a problem for Star Trek since the beginning, and I don't think it would have allowed it to be popular today. In fact, it's one of the things that, when I talk to people that are new to Star Trek, it's one of the elements that they really have a problem with, in that it doesn't have the consistency that they expect from a modern show that at least gives some kind of lip service to the idea that it is persistent? That the information that you learn will be true from episode to episode going forward? See, times changed. The VCR let people keep track of things in a way that original television didn't. And even though the VCR did exist when The Next Generation came about... It didn't affect how it or its successive series were made you could actually see that by the time they were working on Enterprise they were desperately trying to craft a series that would work as a box set because that was becoming more and more of a thing even before DVD had really truly dominated the market though it was well on its way by that point so what's the point of all this what can we learn well No matter how you come up with ideas people if they resonate with them will find a way to like the work that you're doing no matter how it's found you can see this with the song of ice and fire series a series that is not worked out in advance he's a pantser he's somebody who does discovery writing so you have large communities of people that are literally going over george r R. martin's work and reconstructing what looks like a coherent world. Though, maybe in the edits, he takes some effort to ensure that he's not overly contradicting himself, but that's not the point in the first place. So, the main purpose of what I'm trying to say here is, no matter what you are, if you are creating a world, yes, it could be nice to build it as coherent and internally logical as possible and it's something that i like to try to do at least initially i like to have a lot of that worked out as much as i can and i try to catalog the rules and elements that come up as i am writing but things will if, if the story is good enough things will develop things will change and people will have their own headcanons about how things work and fit together So, don't worry all that much. I'm not trying to say that world building isn't important. It's actually one of my favorite things to do, and I think it's one of the elements that makes a story really pop when it's done well. But, if Star Trek can get by without really having ever done it, eh, you're not in bad company if it's not something you want to spend your time on. So, yeah, that's star trek in a nutshell the accidental universe that was born from just running forward as fast as you possibly can i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did and you haven't already please like this podcast in the app that you're listening to me on that really helps a lot that tells the algorithm to share me with more people speaking of which if you know anybody you think might like this episode please share it with them that helps out immensely as well if you've got a couple bucks you can throw my way, in the show notes you'll see a link to community support. You can join the project at the $1, 5 or $10 levels. That helps me out a bunch. Helps me do just about everything that I do, including the development of the new sci-fi setting that y'all have been asking me for. Working on it. Hopefully I will have news shortly, maybe-ish. Working on it. <laughs> Thank you all for your support. I've enjoyed getting to talk with some of you lately, and I am glad the Facebook thing actually allowed that to happen for some of you and for some of you on Twitter. So, thank you all. Your support means everything to me, even if it's not financial. Because trust me, I understand being poor. I am poor. I, I the money's nice, but knowing that you're listening is and that you care and enjoy what's going on that that that's huge. So thank you all for that. Anywho, I think that's it. If you want to keep up with everything that I'm doing, head over to projectshadow.com. I've got a list of all my social media and everything there. Hit me up on Twitter, probably the best network to find me on. Until next time, don't forget, have the fun.